Welcome to The Good Friends of Jackson Elias, a podcast about Call of Cthulhu, horror films, and horror gaming in general. My name is Paul Fricker, and today I'm going to be talking with Christopher McLaughlin about his new book, Transgressive Horror. This is a bonus show, so if this is your first time listening, please be aware that this episode is outside of our usual format. So welcome, Christopher McLaughlin. Awesome. Your Kickstarter describes you as the creative pit boss of Ghost Show <laughs> Press. And I'll just yes. I'll just read this little bit, if I may. A creator's Please. first publishing imprint dedicated to supporting art and artists, as well as providing readers some classic carnival thrills. He's been teaching political science, watching strange films, and writing and designing tabletop role-playing games for decades. Well, you sound more than well qualified to be on this show. Well, thank you very much. I was I was delighted when one of my writers recommended recommended it to me because one one of the downsides of being uh, a college professor and and a, and, a, and a new publisher is you you know so many wonderful podcasts and and media new media like this can fall through the cracks. But but my goodness, it was I felt like meeting I was meeting an old friend from the moment I saw your site. Oh, that's <laughs> and, nice to hear. And, Yes. And, and, and we, you know, teaching with this distance learning, we've got a lot of downtime and, and I, I'm very happy the day I figured out how I could stream your cast and get past the campus internet blockers. Ah, good work. So yes, it's livened up many slow hours <laughs> on our empty campus. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, that's, that's good to hear. So we've got a few things that we can talk about today. One is, uh, you know, your, your background and your, um, your ghost show press. Uh, the other is your transgressive horror book and the, the various authors that have contributed articles to that and also you know i'd like to dig into your own interest in horror and you know what brought you to that so let's let's just start off with your you know with the kickstarter um and right. uh, so just tell us a little bit more about the kickstarter and you know what what is ghost show press <laughs> well uh I uh, had a wonderful 25 year run in doing in doing tabletop uh, role playing games. Um, I was very 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 blessed to get in on the ground floor of a uh, of a of a zombie western game called Deadlands, which is happily still going strong because good people are behind that. And uh, from that, uh, I gravitated into superheroes. Had a good long run of doing superheroes for 15 years, but uh, you know. Conditions in the p tabletop industry, industry at you know it's the, the industry's changing. It, it it's becoming this divide between people that are all kind of doing it out of their own garages. They're just writing up everything, laying it out, and and you know dropping it on a on a on a download service. And uh, other companies where it's it's becoming more industrialized. You know, there's 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 more of an there's more of an attitude of this book needs to come out and we will, you know, and it needs to come out on a certain date and we're going to take shortcuts. And it was a situation where most of the shortcuts involved the writers suffering for it. You know, like my, you know, right now there, there are three books, there are three books you could go buy right now that have my words in it that I'm not credited for. And there are three books that have my name on it that have none of my words in them. Oh, really? Right. And that, yeah. And that just, that seemed to be the direction that the, the industry was heading. And I, 
I, I'm not primarily doing this for the money. I'm doing this because I, I want people to open up a book and see what I wrote for better or worse. So uh, Go Show was my attempt to have, have at least some venue where I, I, I knew I could trust the boss, so to speak. And the, from that initial seed grew the idea of, well, you know, you've been at this 25 years. Here's your chance to give a break to some promising young writers like you got back in the day. And uh, make sure that that they start their careers in a situation where they don't have to worry about getting rewritten without their knowledge or having somebody else put their name on their words or something like that. So this is my little blow for creative freedom. You know, I, you know, I, you know, there you go. Like we, like we were chatting about earlier. Okay, the Go Show Press is my liberator. <laughs> this, this is this is the, you know Go, go Show Press McG's seven. There we go. But at the same time, you, so you've so have you kind of left gaming behind, or are you still involved in gaming? I I have another project. I have one more book coming out with Greater Than Games, which, by the way, Greater Than Games one of the most, one of the one of the best companies in tabletop role playing. They they absolutely treated me like a king from start to finish, and I may go back to it someday. But after after twenty five years, I just I feel like I need to try something new. And that's that's what transgressive horror is. And if we're blessed enough to fund, I think I would like to keep doing this for a while. Mm. And and maybe maybe someday when I love gaming as much as I did 25 years ago, I'll be tempted to go in it. But right now, if I had a choice between, you know, doing 10 more of my best years in the in the in the role playing industry, as opposed to doing 10 more volumes of uh, like transgressive horror, I would take the movie books in a heartbeat just because it's, it's new and, ex- and exciting and the opportunity to work with, to choose who I work with and uh, to try to play in a bigger, play in a bigger game, shall we say? Yeah. That, that's much more appealing to me now that I I'm in my fifties. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll share your pain on that front. Now, Let's just dig into the book a little bit then in, in kind of general terms and then maybe look at some of the uh, particular contributions that you've got in it. So it's called Transgressive Horror with the subtitle of Reflections on Scare Films That Broke the Rules. So I guess my first question to you would be, what are these rules and who wrote them? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that was one of the most. That was one of the more amazing things that came out of this whole thing. Uh, you know, I I'm I rather famously don't really have plans. So as far as I got was make a list of people that you'd like to work with, and give them this notion of pick a horror film that either wrote or rewrote genre or subgenre rules or, or some established bit of horror canon. And I got some amazingly incisive things um, along the lines of a kind of, of kind of what I was expecting, like um, uh, you know, like uh, Lisa Lisa Morton's uh, wonderful piece on uh, the uh, Hong Kong film uh, uh, Dream Home. Uh, Lisa Morton basically says Dream Ho- Dream Home is transgressive because it's a slasher film where the slasher and the final girl are the same character. Ah, yeah, because I have to say <laughs> I don't know this film. I looked through the list. I mean, what is there? Is about twenty four films? Is it twenty nine of us altogether? Twenty nine, yes. right? So yes. I think maybe I've like seen about half of them and recognize some of the other names. But there are some on the list that I didn't even know at all. I'm not. I wouldn't claim to be a horror film aficionado. Um, so there's, uh, I mean, but 
for for listeners, some of these films they're they're blockbusters. You've got Jaws, you've got yes. Twilight, you know, you've got big um, big movie release names there, and then you've got some much more uh, lesser known films as well. I would say yes. Yeah, well, that's that's another great blessing of leaving it up to your writers, because I will admit when when people started coming back to me saying they wanted to write about the exorcist or the jaw or jaws, it was kind of like, oh, what are what are what can we possibly say new about these films? But I didn't close my mind to it. I didn't close I didn't close myself off to those possibilities. And I, I, much to my happy surprise, I got people that were able to come up with fresh perspectives on it. Like, like we'll talk about Jaws for a second. Mm. Uh, Mike Mason makes a really good case that this is the first time that you have a true horror film that's still an original release that gets merchandised. Right. And, and, you know, and going back in my mind to 1975 and thinking about, well, you know, this is a film where this ravenous razor sharp teeth beast that's the size of a bus is eating children and dogs and killing innocent people. And we're going to turn that into toys. Yeah. What were the toys <laughs> things? I don't, I don't remember um, the, the, the merchandising. So there were like little sharks oh, and things that you could buy. And my, Mike and I, Mike and I bonded over the fact that we actually had the same Jaws toy. There was a game where you could buy a plastic shark with a hinged lower jaw, <laughs> and you could fill it with various plastic pieces of simulated junk, right. and they would give you a little hook. And the thing would be to pull various bits of junk out of the shark's oh. mouth and not be the person who, you know, pulls the thing out, one of the latter things out too late and, get, you know, and it snaps shut on your hook. Right, you get the Louisiana license plate and things like that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. They, now, thankfully, they didn't go so far as putting the little Kittner boy in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was all family-friendly right. junk. But yeah, but just, you know, the, just what a brilliant notion that, you know, we're going to merchandise a horror film. Yeah. But then, like you say, to make it family friendly. Yes. That's kind of strange on the other hand. I mean, that's obviously a marketing yes. decision, isn't it? They're going to sell more of them like that. Yes, 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 yes. But, you know, just, you know, the fact that you could merchandise a horror mm. film, you know, I, I, it was, it was, it was such a brilliant, brilliant take. So I love, I love what Mike did with, and, and that sort of typifies what we're really aiming for on this. It was, it was an opportunity to introduce not only new creators, but new films. Like, as you say, not, not all of these are going to be familiar, especially to more casual fans, mm. but uh, as an opportunity to introduce people to some new films and to take some of the older ones, the more classic ones, and just give you a new way to appreciate them, a new way to look at them. Yeah, yeah. So while while we're on this 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 idea, you know, mm -hmm. so we're looking at the appeal of horror. We did a we did a whole show about the appeal of horror. We did one about the appeal of role playing games, and we did one about the mm -hmm. appeal of horror. Both of them trying to do you know what that says basically, but to really kind of search inside and sort of try and get to grips with beyond the uh the facile kind of surface arguments <laughs> you know what what is it that draws us to horror so so christopher what is it that you know hooked you into horror i guess and it's probably like what first hooked you into horror and then what's kept you interested in horror over the years well, I was born and raised in, in an extremely rural part of the United States of America and uh, in, in the in the 1970s. And uh, it was it was a it was an economically depressed coal mining area where 
in life, you were either going into the mines or you were finding a way out. Right. And anything that broke you out of that reality, it was like something where the gods must be crazy. You know, it was like, it was like when I first found a place that sold comic books, that, there, there you go. I could have started a cargo cult around, you know, color pictures of people doing amazing things in big, in big cities. And uh, uh, horror movies is blessedly one of the things was my father's release from his from his life in the coal industry, and it's something he passed on to me. And I just I embrace that as part of a there's a bigger wild, wilder world out there, and some of it has zombies and vampires and mummies in it. And as I got older, I started to appreciate how, in addition to just that general rush, we all we all should get when our imagination gets stimulated, when our when we we, we realize the world is bigger than we than we know. Yeah. There's something about horror films, and I guess to an extent, you know, um, more disreputable exploitation films in general. Horror kind of gives you a license to talk about things that more respectable films can't. Right. You know, since people are already looking at you sideways by 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 the fact that you're into horror, you're making a horror film, you're watching a horror film, you know, you might. I love how creators have taken that as an opportunity to get in, to get into controversial stuff. Like uh, one of one of my more one of the more impa- at least for me impactful essays um, in this collection was um, uh, Kristen Kristen Hutchinson, who I had not met before I met on this project. One of the wonderful people I met on this. Um, wrote about a film called Prevenge, oh. and I felt I felt really bad having missed it because it was written and directed by Alice Lowe, and I'm a I'm a huge fan of Garth Marenghi's Dark Dark Place, Matthew Holness, and and like how did I miss Alice Lowe and something else? And this notion, I mean, it's if you haven't seen it, it's a film basically that says that says being a mother kind of sucks, right? <laughs> because it's a film where a woman a woman becomes a serial killer because her fetus is telling her to kill people. Oh wow. And, and the and the notion, I mean, saying something negative about motherhood—that's mm. something really you could only uh, maybe maybe you could get away with it in the comedy genre, but I still don't know. That's really something you could get you could only get away with in the horror genre. I mean, and just looking at you know the, the the birth rates in the world, clearly not everybody's excited about being a parent. Yeah. So it was just amazing that you know if that's how you and I'm not hating on parents. Mm. I'm, I'm I'm a professor. I love parents. They keep me employed. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know if you're one of the large number of people out there that just really doesn't want kids, you know where else are you going to find a film that are that that lets you know that you know that feeling is, does not make you unique. Yeah. So it raises some interesting questions and challenges assumptions. I mean, is that. Yes, yeah. absolutely, yeah. absolutely, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was I was raised on Hammer horror films, which are, I mean, you you, you can absolutely fall in love with the way that they're shot, the 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 way the sets are set up, the costumes, the the acting, surprisingly. But you know, then it's sooner or later it, it it hits you that that like, wait, isn't Dracula about how the rich people are just basically living off the blood of the people that aren't that aren't that are that are that are in the low, lower, less wealthy classes? Wait, <laughs> how did you get that into a film? <laughs> and talking of Hammer Horror, I think you mentioned before we this was before we started recording uh, where your name derives from, which I think is an interesting yes. one. Yes, my 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 dear my dear father loved Hammer Horror, so he dubbed me Christopher Lee McLaughlin, a name I've borne with pride and great care. And, and in fact. I can actually tell you a story that's so weird. I, I, if you don't believe it, I will. I will not. I don't begrudge anybody who doesn't believe this story. But I met my wife in college, and my wife's name is Tanith, T A N I T H. Oh. 
And, um, and, uh, I asked, well, where did that come from? She goes, my mom saw a movie right before I was born, liked the name and decided I'm going to name my first daughter in that. And a little research later, we found out that comes from the devil rides out starring, of course, Christopher Lee, a film that primarily got made because Lee was friends with Dennis Wheatley. So, uh, you know, so, so there you go. The woman I wound up marrying, uh, you know, we, we, you know, uh, you know, she, her name comes from a film that my namesake got made. And then of course in the U S they retitled it the devil's bride. So if I'm telling this to an American wow. audience, I can, I can just tell them, well, you know, in, in effect, I married the devil's bride. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> right. So not only an interesting horror, you're, you're living it as well. Fantastic. Um, yeah. Well, you know, it, yeah, 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 in a fun sort of yeah, way. Totally, in a fun totally. sort of way. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. Yeah. That's cool. Um, now, um, I was looking at the Kickstarter and I noticed that yes. it, it funds the PDF edition. Uh, yes. and then there'll potentially be a hard copy, but that'll be uh just so that'll be for those in the US. Um, yeah, well, there, there will definitely definitely be print books. Yeah. We will, if we fund, we will definitely be doing print books. That that's that that's guaranteed. But uh, at least right now, we're since this is our first. At least at this stage, we're not really in a we're we're not really set up to handle foreign shipping at this pl- at this point. Yeah, I'm hoping that will be the next step. Right. You yeah. know, it's you know we we have we have foreign translations, we have Kindle editions, we have all these things that we want to do. But I, I'm at the point now where I, I, I have to pay my writers. Yeah. I, you know, I, I have to legally purchase this material from them. So we kind of set a, a bare a bare minimum for what we might be able to do here at the start. And hopefully it, it will it will grow from there. But uh, there but uh, I'm, I'm sure somebody who is a great fan of Chaosium knows foreign shipping on a Kickstarter can be fatal. Yeah, no, shipping yeah. has uh, got very expensive over the years. That's for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. indeed. Yeah. Yes, indeed. No, but but uh, but we're yeah we're we're hoping we're hoping we're hoping to ha- we're hoping to make to make print available worldwide as soon as we have the infrastructure and the finances to do that. Fantastic. And I also noticed that it's called Transgressive Horror, Volume One of Everybody's yes. Gone to the Movies. So yeah, see you've got you know this is if this is called Volume One, you've you've got more things up your sleeve. Yes, 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 yes. Quite, yeah, quite the optimism on that cover. <laughs> yes, yes, um, yes. Uh, we are, we're already talking about doing uh, doing science fiction for volume two, oh. and I've already, uh, in fact, I've already gotten some some pitches for stuff to be in it. Right, and 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 it's it's got me even more excited about this one working out because I. I, this is a book I would be proud to buy, and it just it just by by wild circumstance, I'm I'm bl- I'm honored and blessed enough to publish it, and I'm just, I'm really excited what these people already have in mind for volume for volume two, and and and, and in fact, I actually had somebody who has seen the manuscript whis- whisper to me and says, you know, you could win a Stoker Award for this, ah. and I'm like I'm like I'm just hoping somebody will buy it <laughs> if they, they want to give me awards for it. I'll, okay, I'll I'll accept them, but wow, yeah, no. I just. You know, just the the knowing that I'm not the only one who sees the quality here. I mean, you've mentioned a couple of the titles. Do you want to just yes. say a few more of them for our listeners? Because we we um, okay. on the show, uh, you know, we've talked about. Actually, we've talked yes. about some of these films. So we've talked about. Yes, I, I know there was Midsummer on there. There was. I can't yes. off the top of my head right now. I can't think what other titles we've covered, but it, there would certainly be. Well, it's it's certainly in our 
listeners interest this this range of films okay. you've got right here for definite so uh, right. if you want to pick out a few and just say a little bit about them that would be great and just tell us the range of films you've got all righty uh well uh transgressive is of course controversy and you can't do controversy without talking about twilight right uh the amazing the amazing simon bacon uh doesn't necessarily defend them as great movies but just talks about how they've changed the vampire genre and, and kind of, it, it, it's kind of, it, it's almost like he has you in, in a, in a hold and like making like, okay, admit it. Twilight changed the genre. And like, finally you're like, oh yes. Okay. I admit it. Oh, Matthew Sanderson's gonna, that, this, this is the point where he will turn off. <laughs> he, <laughs> he loves vampires. He hates Twilight. Well, it's a quality that it, it says a lot for how good the, the essay is that he, that, that, that me not being the world's biggest Twilight fan mm. was like, okay, yes, I want to publish this. Yeah. Um, we got the a wonderful, wonderful comedian and filmmaker Larry Blamire, who uh, made the absolute perfect parody of 1950s science fiction, The Lost Skeleton of, of Cadavera. Yeah, I have an actual filmmaker in my book who uh, writes about the classic horror noir, The Seventh Victim, and uh, makes a pretty convincing case where, it, where, in addition to being a horror film and a film noir, it's sort of a it's sort of a proto Woody Allen buddy comedy film oh. and that's a connection i never would have made in a million years right. <laughs> so so um matthew dawkins of onyx path uh fame uh tackled dawn of the dead again a film i wasn't sure that there'd be anything new to say about mm-hmm. but uh examining dawn of the dead through the perspective of the debate that we're having in america over police brutality issues mm. and some of the early scenes of that movie where cops are just kind of maybe not discriminately mowing people down. It's, it's a, and again, it speaks to the vitality of uh, Romero and the mm. quality of the writers I have. Uh, Craig Fisher is doing Jean-Luc Godard's weekend and he's making an argument for the fact that Godard made a horror film. Oh, really? All oh, right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, it's, it's insane, but it works. Yeah. Uh, Lynn Firestone is, is, is talking about Midsummer as, as uh, you mentioned, and she's talking about how it's a it's a film that, to a greater degree than any other, communicates what it's trying to do through lighting. Yeah. And like, okay, that's that's wow, I, I didn't notice that. Well, it's unusual in that it's obviously midsummer. There is no darkness, yes. is there, for a horror film? Yes, that's, that's quite striking. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, I've praised Prevenge uh, already, so let's see here. Oh, my, Jay Kovac uh, tackled one of the most, like, controversial films in the entire book, The Little Girl Who Lives Down the Lane. Uh, it's one of those rare films that offended liberals and conservatives when it came out in 76. Right. And, it, and, and even now, 50 years later, there's, there's parts of that film that are hard to watch. But uh, Jay wrote this amazing personal piece about her feelings in the film are based on the fact that of, of lived experience. Her thing is I, I lived this movie. I discovered this movie during a very, during a very um, turbulent childhood and being able to find comfort and solace from this disreputable film. Could you say a little bit about the film? Cause I'm not familiar with it. Uh, it's uh, basically it stars uh, Jodie Foster of silence of the lambs fame. And uh, she is um, early teens in the film, as I recall. And she's hiding the fact that she's living alone 
because she she's smart enough and she's clever enough to live a happy life by herself. But then she begins to be stalked by a by by a pederast played by Martin Sheen, which is always a rough thing for people that only know him from the West Wing. Mm. <laughs> it's yeah. like, wait, what's the president doing here? <laughs> So it's basically this this teenage girl mm-hmm. living on her own trying to, it's it's kind of like it's kind of like a very seriously dark version of home alone in a way. Right. But yeah, but that it dealt with, you know, pedophilia and 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 issues like that. I mean, that's that's never an easy or, or especially enjoyable thing to talk no. about. But but yeah, yeah, but it's it's a film that packs a punch and 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 Somebody relating to that as a life experience was just amazing. I, I never, I, I, I asked her to write about this because I think she's just a heck of a creative person. And I got, I got way more than I ever expected out of that essay. And I'm really looking forward for people to read that. Um, speaking of controversy, uh, uh, one of my writers, Chloe Maviel, took on the even more controversial I Spit on Your Grave. Which, if if you're not familiar with that, it's it starts with so many films like a woman being brutally raped, but then it turns into every revenge film you've ever seen, except in this case, the the person seeking revenge is a woman, and she deals with you know were people offended by the content or were people offended by the fact that it's a woman getting revenge, Hmm. and she makes a pretty good case that you know. She, you know, the, the main character in that film is not doing anything that we haven't seen, you know, Clint Eastwood or, you know, Sylvester Stallone or any of these other action film stars do a hundred times over. Yeah. Um, I tackled The Mask of the Red Death myself because I've always been a big Vincent Price fan. And I'm trying to make a case that Mask of the Red Death is is the first film where things don't reset back to Judeo-Christian normality at the end. You know, I mean, we, uh, there's so many films where, you know, good always basically has to, even if it's absurd is, and I hate to pick on my namesake, but Scars of Dracula, when Dracula is all alone on the roof of his castle with the, with the last beautiful female victim, Dracula's got to be thinking, all right, this is the one where I win. And just that for the heck of it, he gets hit by lightning, <laughs> just random bolt of lightning, but burns up Christopher Lee, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, the, Mask of the Red Death was the first film to kind of reject that ending. And and in fact, not only and, and to just say and to just say, hey, you know, our heroes and our villains are all going to die. And there you go. That's it. There's no heaven. There's no hell. There's no God. There's no devil. We just all die and rot in the ground. Do you think that's something that sets <laughs> horror fans apart that sometimes they watch these films and they're rooting for the bad guys? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there, there are so many great horror, irresistible horror films where I, I somehow I don't see how you can't root for anybody other than the bad guy. The classic example of this for me is, uh, is the abominable Dr. Fibes. And, and, and if you try to describe Fibes to somebody, you know, it's like, well, it's about the, it's about this deranged madman who kills, who kills nine doc, who kills eight doctors and a nurse. <laughs> but you're rooting for him the whole time. And you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but a it's Vincent price. He does it with such humor and style. It may be the ultimate vindication of a rule. I once heard that, that you will, you will root for anybody in a movie if they're really good at their jobs. Oh. That's why we can get into movies like oceans 11, which are about people like rob, robbing casinos right. and things like that. Right. Okay. I think we root for fives cause he's really good at his job. 
<laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I can see that. So yeah, that's a take. Yeah. 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 Um, let's see here. Look at my list here. Um, uh, John Polajak uh, took on Godzilla as the first, at, at, at least in terms of American cinema, maybe the first example of like blatantly political horror, mm. uh, you know. So this is the original Japanese version. Well, he's not? specifically dealing with the American cut of it, of it. that You kind of have to read it to see why that's an important difference. Oh. But yes, he especially wanted to address the American cut that has uh, Raymond Burr thrown in it for some reason. <laughs> oh, so that was a, an American cut of the Japanese film with bit. Yes, in, yes. Yes, they 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 uh, took an American actor named Raymond Burr and sort of shoehorned him into the movie. Oh right! And and it, if you don't notice it the first time you see it, mm. but if you know that he wasn't in the original film, you can kind of tell where they'll show like the original Japanese scenes of destruction, and then they'll cut to a small pile of rocks, and Raymond Burr will walk up next to it and go, "I'm standing in the middle of the destruction that Godzilla's unleashed." <laughs> Fantastic. I mean, I remember going to the cinema when I was a kid to watch those in black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, oh, I don't wow. know what, uh, what version it was. I'm, I'm imagining it was the American version. So, uh, Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I've actually seen the original Japanese version. And it's for somebody that just, if, if I find a Godzilla movie on TV at 4 a.m., I, I cannot resist the siren siren song of seeing those little buildings crushed mm. and those little toy tanks destroyed. But it's amazing how really depressing the original Japanese version is. Right. You know, there's, there's nothing distracting you from distracting the viewer from the fact that this is a metaphor for Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yeah. And it's like, wow, you know, it, it, it leaves you with like a definite Schindler's list kind of feeling at the end. Mm. I'm glad I saw this, but I don't know if I ever need to see it again. I think we sometimes feel that with horror, don't we? Or with, I guess, oh, maybe not just God, yeah. horror, but certainly with some films. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, not to delve too into sci-fi, but there was a, there's a 1970 MGM film that was shot over in Britain called No Blade of Grass. All right. And uh, based on, uh, based on, uh, uh, I think, uh, this short story called The Death of Grass. And it's, and it's all about, it's all about this, uh, this virus that destroys all long bladed grass types. So it wipes out right. the world's supply of wheat and rice staples. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, it's all about an old RAF veteran trying to get his family to his brother's potato farm. Mm-hmm. And it's the most brutal, realistic takedown, uh, showing the breakdown of society and how terrible it would get. And it's just, it's so uncompromising. I, I've seen it twice, and it's it's an incredible film. But I I know I don't know if I could see it a third time. It's right. just so it's just so it's too real, too real. Grim. Yes, very yeah. very. Yeah. No, but on but on a happier note, uh, I had my good friend Darren Watts tackled audition. <laughs> oh, now we're talking smiles yes. and laughs. <laughs> yes, the the that infamous. Film. Yes, yes, yes. Well, we couldn't do transgressive without it, could no. we? Could we? And uh, oh, my my dear friend Eddie Webb of Pugmire fame tackled the 1959 Hammer version of The Hound of the Baskervilles. Right. I was very proud to get Eddie on board because I, I I I joke and say I fundamentally tricked him because it, the first thing Eddie Eddie said to me was I'm not a horror guy, and I said I know that. That's why I want you in my book. And I said I want you in as a as a Holmes guy. I want you to talk about. Um, how Hammer in doing Holmes as a horror film 
broke the rules of show, uh, of of mm. you know Arthur Conan Doyle, and he says I'm in, and I got a fabulous fabulous essay out of him, and he never I don't think he had seen it before I sent it to him, so it was great uh-huh. it was great to see the reaction of uh, you know this great renowned Holmes scholar's first reaction to Hammer's take on it all. So it was, you know, it was, it was, you know, getting a perspective from somebody who's not a real horror fan, but still has valuable things to say about the genre. I was very, very, very proud of that one. Yeah. Cause there were some of these films that, you know, they, they overlap on the Venn diagram to other interests, don't they? So somebody, yes. uh, it, it's notable to me that my sister is um, very into going to the cinema and, and reads lots of fiction. And mm-hmm. she introduced me to going to the Odeon, the Odeon cinemas in the UK. They do this thing called uh, Screen Unseen, where oh, you wow. pay five pounds and you go along. And it could be any film. And it's a way of just, I think it's a way of kind of getting a buzz about a new film. So it's usually pre release. Uh-huh. But it's not horror. That's oh, the wow. only thing you know. It's not going to be horror. And I find that interesting. Hmm. So they, I find it interesting that they exclude horror, but it could be anything yeah. else. Um, they have a they have a thing in parallel called Scream Unseen, where it's oh. only horror. So that kind of balances <laughs> it. But it, it's interesting that of all the sort of cinema types, horror mm-hmm. is so set apart that yeah. they can't include it in that standard um, format. Yeah. Well, you're you're dealing you're dealing with a very passionate audience, you know, and I, I you could you. You love you love horror fan. I, I'm a horror fan. I'm proud to be. I love horror fans to death. But but but, geez, you don't want to cross them. You know, <laughs> we, we we are happy to join that torches and pitchfork mob. Yeah, you know, you know I, I like um, there uh, an American company uh, licensed uh, Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell, which I always thought was one of the more underrated Hammer Frankenstein's, and they couldn't afford to license. Um, a five second scene of Peter Cushing biting through an optic nerve. And they, I, I think that it's been out a year now and I still think they're getting angry mail from people like, how dare you leave out five seconds of Peter Cushing biting through an optic nerve. So how come they couldn't get that? I'm not quite, is it? Cause well, it was- um, it, uh, monster from hell got released by Paramount pictures over here. Right. And Paramount cut that from the original negative. Paramount just said, oh, no, people see. are not seeing this. Okay. And um, the company that put it out in America, Shout Factory, they did a deal directly with Paramount, and that gave them access to Paramount's film elements. Right. To get the, to get the, eye, to get the eyeball scene, they would have had to have gone through the incredibly tangled thicket mess that is I the see. right to hammer these days. Oh. And it just, it, it would have put them in a situation where getting those five seconds would have meant we're not going to make any money on this. Yeah. But we don't like to be shortchanged. Oh know, no! To, to oh, miss no. out that 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 key scene. But then there's oh, a reason that five second scene was cut, isn't there? And that's probably the the, the five seconds that the the horror fans loved. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there, I, 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 I could see that. It's 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 a heck of a scene. To me, I mean, I'm 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 52 now, and I've seen a lot. I'm to me, I'm in it to see Peter Cushing playing the Baron's final mental breakdown. And, you know, the fact that he, not even he knows why he's making monsters at this point, you know, I, I guess, I guess the older, the older I get, the more I can relate to something like that. But, but, but yeah, but I, yeah, but the people, the people who were just fast forwarding through that thing, where's the eyeball scene? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and I have to speak, I have to speak for one last essay here and then I'll probably, 
Yeah, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Nicole Winchester, who took on the Blair Witch Project wow. from two of the most wonderfully brilliant angles ever. Uh, she's talking, She on the one hand, she's talking about how this was the first film to really use internet, viral internet marketing to get its point across. And then she also talks about this in terms of women's workplace issues. And she basically sees the film as a super competent lady having to deal with two idiot male employees. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good take. Yeah, it is. It is. And it totally works. Yeah. I, I was just so delighted by that. Because I love yeah. that scene where the guy, um, he just gets frustrated and throws the map in the brook. <laughs> And I can remember friends sort of saying, well, that's stupid. Why would he do that? And it's like, well, that's the point. It is stupid. And that is just the kind of stupid thing that people do. Yeah. Oh, yes. It's it's a movie I will never forget because it was out, out, out when I was a younger man and it was doing Civil War reenactments. And I was spending many a weekend camping out in those parts of Maryland right. yeah. <laughs> with oh, really? only 19th century technology. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's a movie that meant a lot to me. I think in part because I have got lost like that when I was oh. a kid, and I have a terrible sense of direction. Oh no! And I would totally get. I got lost in the Welsh hills. Went with my parents. <gasps> well, uh, separated from my parents. I oh. followed this bunch of hand gliders. I was about eleven, and I there was this, we we pulled up in this layby up in the Welsh hills. And there were a bunch of people, and they just wandered off. And back then, you just let your kid wander off with a bunch of strangers, I guess. And I wandered through the hills. And then we got to this hill, and they just jumped off because they've got hang gliders, right? And there, there was me, and I was like, oh, okay, I'll just make my way back then. I don't know. As soon as you put me somewhere and turn me around, I haven't got a clue where I am. So... <laughs> So that sense of being lost really, uh, really affects me. Oh um, gosh, yeah. So I—that's a film also very divisive, as, as you yeah. well know. But you know, particularly on our show, I love it. It's one mm-hmm. of my top favorite movies, and Scott hates it. Um, so, really? Uh, yeah. Huh. We don't agree about very much, actually. It seems when we review <laughs> films. <laughs> Yeah, I, I find that people's attitude to Blair Witch, it depends on how much found footage they've seen up to this point. You know, it's like it's like the people that, you know, this was their first exposure to it. It really meant a lot to them. But, you know, my friends that go all the way back to, you know, Cannibal Holocaust and films like that, they're like, ah, I've seen it better. You know, mm-hmm. it's, you know, I, 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 I think even working within a familiar genre, I still, I still think it's, it's, it's an amazingly well done film. I'm, I'm happy that I'm not so jaded that I, that I throw it away just because it's not the first found footage film. Yeah. I, I think with anything, I think it's never good to dismiss something just because somebody's done it before. Yeah. You, can, you know, like you were saying with these essays with of some people chose very well known films, you can mm-hmm. always find a new way of doing something or a different angle on it um which is it's going to be interesting in fact it's very hard to come up with something completely original isn't it I mean, yeah yeah or, or or you know just never underestimate how a film will speak differently to different people mm. like uh like um my friend Colm Lundberg tackled the exorcist and i don't think anybody but he could have talked me into it because the exorcist is very much a product of american catholicism 
and uh, Combe was born and raised and still lives over in Kerry, Ireland. And so seeing this perspective through Irish Catholicism, Hmm. it it, it, it gave me a whole new twist on the film. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm fascinated to read this book, and I'm, you know, genuinely motivated to read this because I think it sounds like you've got people who... Well, you've got people who have picked a film of their choice to write mm-hmm. about. So you know it's going to be a film that they are passionately interested in and they've got and they're going to have cho- have to have chosen something that they feel they've got something to say about it. Yes. Um so rather than just a book of like, you know, horror film reviews, say, which yeah. you know, they're ten a penny, but um, yes, yeah, exactly. So this is a an interesting interesting topic. So Christopher, can I put you on the spot then? What would be your Absolutely. top three horror films? All right. Well, if if I if I had to run to the shelf and grab yeah. something right now, um, you know, uh, if anybody wants to get into the genre, I have to show them Abominable Doctor Fibes just right. to show how a film can be so stylish, so horrible, and so funny all at once. I think it, it speaks very well to how to how greatly the genre, how, how, how flexible the genre can be. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been a huge, huge fan of Michael Reeves, Witchfinder general, right? Because I, I don't think there's ever been a better film made. Well, it's, it's the best film I made on so many topics, like the futility of revenge. Um, it has so much to say about why you should be very, very cautious whenever church and state get too cozy. Um, I, te- I, I tend, I tend to root for both, but I don't want them to get together. I think they're much better separately than they are <laughs> yeah. together. Yeah. Um, and uh, okay. If I had to pick a purely favorite third one, um, I, I I've seen I've seen the Romero Night of the Living Dead too many times not not to list it because that yeah. that that's a film that I I will literally quit whatever I'm doing to watch that to watch that film I it and it I think the, the amazing power of that film is it's a film where it I was completely hypnotized by it before I realized that there was a bigger story there. You know, even how you can how you can argue that it's a great film without ever getting into the political things that it touches upon, right, the things yeah. that it has to say about human nature and and governments ma- trying to manage a crisis. You know, it's just how engrossing it can be that that small group of people in that little Pennsylvania farmhouse. I just and you know, you think by now I'd realize they're not getting out. <laughs> you know just once i'd say they're all gonna die i don't know what yeah. you're watching you, you just enjoy being in there with them don't you when you yes 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 them. and i i still i still remember the last time i was in, i was in a similar situation we had a massive thunderstorm come by and we lost power and i was struggling to find batteries for a flashlight and i was so jealous that you know they're in a house with like a gas pump and a gun and ammunition yeah. and food <laughs> <laughs> Like why can uh, you know? Have I learned nothing from this film? Apparently not. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> there's another book for you. What I've learned from horror films, yeah, <laughs> survival techniques, and uh, I don't know what else. But we we have thrown around the idea of do of doing one. Like the best lesson I ever got from a dodgy film. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure that would be uh, <laughs> lessons for life right now. 
that that other than the science fiction, that may be my favorite. With the exception, we've we've also discussed doing one called called "What the Hell Are You Watching?" The strangest film I've ever seen. Oh, that'd be good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I know what I would do for that one. I was just I was just uh, flicking around on uh, Amazon Prime at the weekend, and mm-hmm. I, I I had to photograph it and share it because it was like <laughs> popular. Uh-huh. action movies it was either uh-huh. action movies or adventure movies holy mountain <laughs> can you imagine just like flicking through and thinking oh, i fancy like a popular action movie let's put on holy mountain <laughs> it's a great film but it's more than quite strange I've always loved the Coen Brothers film Barton Fink about the screenwriter who's trapped in a hotel with writer's block. And it's all about, it's basically about a writer having a breakdown. And there's a classic gag from, 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 from the Simpsons where Bart's best friend Millhouse and his, and his friends are, you know, they they don't want to go with Bart because it's like, Hey Bart, we're going to see an R rated movie. It's called Barton Fink. And these 10 year old boys going Barton Fink, Barton (laughs) Fink thinking because it's R rated. Clearly there must be lots of salacious things that 10 year old boys are dying to see. (laughs) (laughs) oh goodness that's something that's different that's a we we talked a little bit about the cultural differences between britain mm-hmm. and america and i think before we started recording we were talking about like doc two and blake seven but that's yes. something that's always struck me as really very different with the u.s is that your um mm-hmm. your certification system because here yes. you know i couldn't we had when i was when i was a kid it was like x certificate which yes. i still think we should have x it rather than 18 because <laughs> x just you know that's a mark of like don't do it isn't it x is is great so x would be you know all the horror films would be x certificate if they were any good yes Um, but but you had to be 18 you know to get into an x yes so things like um oh uh what's it called uh crystal lake and all that what's it called Um, friday the 13th friday the 13th that was that was an 18 um oh, that yeah. was the first horror film the first x certificate horror films i went to see underage and um that was the other thrill of course was getting into yes. underage. <laughs> but um but over in the states it's very different right because you know your your certification system we i mean we don't need to get into the details of it but when when were you getting in to see uh like horror films and so on was that a younger age was it easier yes think, yes 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 and uh yeah, yeah yesterday yesterday was mother's day here in america so I, right. here's where i have to salute my mother um i was my mom's 18th birthday present so uh oh, and oh, my, yeah. my dad was 19 and one of the things i have always loved them both for was at an age when you should be thinking about about your career and you making they they had to deal with me and they they had this wonderfully loving, caring, completely untrained parenting style. <laughs> and so they trusted me to do things I don't know if like modern parents would ne- would would necessarily be on board with. And so the first film that I actually remember seeing, I had to have been three or four years old. They took me to a drive-in movie to see the Vincent Price classic theater of blood where he <laughs> graphically and hysterically bumps off 10 film critics. Right. 
And so my first clear memory of a film is not a Disney film or a lovable animated classic. It's the scene where Vincent Price, uh, you know, you know, uh, puts yeah. a funnel in the critic's mouth and like jams the food into his mouth right. to, to, to choke the guy to death. And and yeah, so yeah, uh, so uh, yeah, and so in, in America, basically, you can. Uh, the X rating in America has, has traditionally been reserved for one thing, and that's like hardcore pornography. And it's yeah, also it's also the one rating that's actually seriously enforced here. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, other than hardcore pornography, which is an X, our strongest rating is an R, and uh, y- you have to be eighteen to get into those. But seventeen is fine if accompanied by parent or parent or guardian. So the little three or four year old me got in to see whatever he wanted to see because I was in the back seat with my folks. They just passed us right through. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, also drive-in movies. Yes. We don't really have that. I think we've had it a little bit over the last year because of COVID. Yes, indeed. Um, as, as a way of getting around the restrictions of cinemas, but uh, yeah, it's just not the same in. Yeah, you know, it's it's so funny. I'm a great collector of of drive-in relics and and ads for them and, and one of the highlights of my collection is i actually have a a, a uk ad for a drive-in and it was i was loving the similarities like oh okay they're pushing a lot of the same products but uh, maybe you can help me with this okay here you go you can clear up a mystery mm-hmm. for me here on air they were advertising their hamburgers and they wow. were listing off all the delicious ingredients you know you could get them with lettuce you can get them with tomato and you can also get them with sauce onto a different topic. Now, as an American, I'm like, wait, sauce? <laughs> sauce is a big word. Are we talking like tartar or what? 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 what, what if I if I were there and I, and I asked for sauce on my burger, what would I get? I think they. W- I I would take that to mean ketchup. Oh, okay. So tomato, tomato ketchup. Tomato oh, ketchup okay. is is what I would because we kind of interchangeably called tomato ketchup tomato sauce oh so um and we we also have like um there's brown sauce as well which is like uh there are brands of it like uh hp sauce and so on um uh yeah i would i would say if you ask for the sauce here it's probably like brown sauce or or rum or ketchup Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I enjoy, I enjoy more British cuisine than 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 than, than most people. But I'm, but I'm sensitive, <laughs> I'm sensitive to the fact that you know, British. You, you probably don't want to. You probably want to dive in and start off with you know blood sausage or something like that. Or, you know? Yeah. <laughs> ah, so, I mean, yeah. The, <laughs> this is one of the things that I love going to America is experiencing all the the slight differences. You know, yes. just having the the same thing but different words for it or yes. um or <laughs> or uh just slightly different takes on things like we've got you know your cookies are biscuits and yeah uh, your biscuits you have with gravy and you know it's a breakfast yes. thing so we use the same word but for like a different thing and it's like uh you know is this whole two nations separated by common language or whatever it is. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Thankfully we have Canada there to translate. <laughs> right. Okay. It, it just doesn't always uh, slot itself in the middle, does it? We're usually directly from uh, Canada to, from America to Britain. Um, 
but uh, yeah, it, it seems appropriate that in our uh, discussion on horror, we've moved on to British food somehow. <laughs> <laughs> British food is typically the best British food. I think is like you know Indian restaurants, Chinese restaurants. You know, it's, uh, it's it seems to be yeah. <laughs> um, so so all the food that is not native that's what you're recommending <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, probably yeah yeah i'm mm. sure there are some good things but uh, they're not they're not springing to mind now yes we're, we're almost uh, uh, at a close here but uh, okay. i noticed somewhere in my uh in my research you keep mm-hmm. bulldogs yes how many do you have uh we have we uh we have one at the moment uh right. that would be that would be my dear girl maggie who is uh she will be 13 in june which is extraordinary for a a a that breed and and moreover this this nearly 13 year old bulldog has, has she she's beating off lymphoma right so yeah that breed's reputation for toughness is very 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 well earned but yes, yes, she she was our she was our third. We 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 had we had two males before her, and um, and uh, I just I just adore the breed to death because they're they're this marvelous combination of 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 stupid and determined. Oh, I mean, the amount of time that you the, the amount of time that you can spend laughing watching them obsessively doing the dumbest things, <laughs> just just hell bent on doing like uh, the, our 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 trademark story about Maggie is uh somebody left uh an empty cardboard box in the alley behind our house yeah. and she fought a two month long war trying to claw through our fence to get at this cardboard box. <laughs> You know, burglar, she wouldn't blink an yeah, eye. Yeah. You know, house fire, she might she might wake up, but that you know, that cardboard box was gonna die. Was there something <laughs> in the box originally? Or we we looked, it was empty. Right. It was just some somebody was taking out their trash and it fell out the bin and it was just happened to be laying there for a while before anybody came along to pick it up. But no, she she decided that that there you go. That was her that was her Moriarty to her homes. <laughs> <laughs> that cardboard box must be destroyed. Fantastic. Okay, well, Christopher, thank you very much for uh, all your insights about horror films and uh, your reflections on your your time in uh, writing and gaming and and so forth. And uh, let's just say where people because we've got about. From when this show goes out, we've got about another week, I think, of the Kickstarter. So do you just want to say when the Kickstarter finishes and where people go to find that? Okay. Uh, well, first of all, thank you very much for having us on. It's been a great, great pleasure. I've cer- certainly enjoyed getting to know you, and 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 thank and thank you for having 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 me on here on behalf of my my group of writers. We certainly appreciate that. Uh, and you can you can find the book at um, at uh, Kickstarter.com slash projects plural and then slash go show press all ram together one word and then slash transgressive dash horror uh and and my my business partner assures me that if you just go to kickstarter and type in transgressive horror we're the only thing that comes up cool yeah i like to joke i like to tell people we ran the other transgressive horror guy right out of business (laughs) 
<laughs> and, uh, and that's running till till May twenty seventh. May twenty seventh, twenty twenty one. Yes, okay. yes. I I launched on April twenty seventh because that was the thirtieth anniversary of me meeting meeting my wife. So I thought oh, nice. this this has got to be this has got to be some kind of good omen. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Christopher, and best of luck with the project. Thank you very much. A great pleasure, sir. Thanks very much for listening. And you can find show notes about this episode on our website at blasphemoustomes.com. Hello? Blasphemoustomes.com. Mm-hmm.